This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. North London is shite. Apologies. As West Ham win at the Emirates and Brighton hammer Spurs. Hard to know if West Ham's opening goal is a disgrace, a disgracia or just hilariously unlucky. That aside, a great performance from David Moyes' side and another slightly toothless one from Arsenal who created so much but finished nothing. Meanwhile at the Amex, a game of two bits. One long one where Roberto De Zerbi taught and a thing or two about playing out from the back and then a little bit at the end when the unlikeliest of comebacks almost seemed on. We'll round up the games from the night before including Manchester the City back on it at Everton, Chelsea sneaking past should we start to worry about Palace and Wolves hitting four at should we start to worry about Brentford. We'll look ahead to the weekend's games and talk about an increase in social media abuse for female pundits. There's your chance to go cruising with Neymar. We'll answer your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Uh, well, uh, hello, Max. Sorry, just the prospect of cruising with Neymar has has thrown me <laughs> yes. early doors. Oh well, you know, well, you know, it, for a fee, you could be doing it on, on a uh, boat. Like, you know, just to be clear, yes, yes, yes to, to, to be clear, on a boat. Yes, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know if he's. We'll get to it. Lucy Ward, welcome. Morning. Uh, hi, Nikki Bandini. Morning. Uh, let's start. That sounded like a sad morning from Nicky after an Arsenal <laughs> home defeat to West Ham. And that's where we'll start. Ben says, West Ham getting beaten 5-0 twice in December. And yet I can't see how Moyes doesn't win manager of the month. Um, yes, credit to Esmail who says, is it a disgracia or a disgrace now? We'll get to uh, the opening goal in a second. Um, but West Ham, Lucy, four wins in five in the league, up to sixth place, four points off the top four, still in Europe and another brilliant win for them. Yeah, uh, the thing about David Moyes is just unfashionable for some reason. He's a, he is the master of getting the right game plan for his opponents. That's how he works. So he sees who he's playing and he makes sure he's set up. And and, he, and this season, because of the signings that they've made in Pakatara and, and Kudas, who's probably if Man United are looking at sort of um, Ajax signings or you know and, and Alvarez as well signings from there, that that's the ones they probably should have got. Um, but they're brilliant. Uh, Alvarez, Pakatar, Kudos, brilliant signers. They add a little bit of that little sparkle that, that he needs. And I know West Ham fans still moan a little bit, but I just think they set up, if, when they set up to defend, it's so difficult to score against them, as we, as we saw last night. It's just, they, you just make sure that they're good in both boxes so that they, when they get up there and they counter, they score. And when they, um, when they're defending, it's, it, it is you know, really difficult to score against them. And Barry, credit to Mavropanos and, and Ogbonna, who hadn't played a whole lot of football. And you sort of looked at that at the start of the game, you thought, wow, Arsenal are going to run them absolutely ragged. Yeah, I I thought they might struggle and they were brilliant. They just played very, very well for a, a partnership. I, I don't know how many times they played together, but uh, in for Aguirre and Kurt Zuma and didn't look at all out of place. And it was a really good performance from West Ham. I, I don't think Arsenal played terribly badly. They just, this game, I suppose, highlighted their main shortcoming, which is a, a lethal finisher up front. That's that's what they're missing. And when Reese Nelson and Eddie Nketiah are the sort of 
cavalry to come off the bench. They don't particularly inspire confidence, even though they do chip in occasionally with an odd goal here or there. But um, it was a, an excellent performance by West Ham. And as Lucy said, David Moyes is pretty unfashionable. It, he's having a brilliant season. Uh, he's had a great year. And he probably won't keep his job beyond the end of the season. And a lot of West Ham fans will be quite pleased to see the back of him. It's a really weird dynamic there at West Ham. Yeah, he is doing a very good job. I think it's four years to the day that he got the job. I think I was on air when he got the job and he did a press conference saying, I win, that's what I do. And I think I laughed, basically laughed at him. And since then, he's done incredibly well. Won West Ham a trophy. I should probably write him. To be fair, I think it was a reasonable thing to do at the time. He he announced, I'm a winner, it's what I do. And then you, you look at his win percentage at the time. And, you know, it wasn't very good. He certainly wasn't a winner at Sunderland, to put it that way. <laughs> That's true. Nicky, uh, Barry touched on that, you know, the lack of a lethal striker for Arsenal. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because that front three are excellent. And there's something I love about Jesus is that he is unselfish and he does bring other people into play. But I don't know if you watch a game like that and think, God, just somebody to just hammer in a load of goals for us would be useful. I just just before I go to us, I do sort of want to bring up this stat, which I have to admit I was selling off Twitter, so if it's wrong, sorry, but I know it's going to be something close to this. David Moyes saying he's he's a winner and and, and Lucy saying as well that he, he knows how to draw up plans for the right occasion. Well, 73 games away in the Premier League at Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool and Arsenal. It's the first time he's won any of them. So he hasn't had a great record in these big games. Um, I, I don't say that to denigrate him because actually West Ham have been obviously brilliant in the last month they've beaten Manchester United they've beaten Tottenham they've 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 got through some some pretty big games coming into this one they are playing very well at the moment um but just sort of had to to highlight that David Moyes stat because it's extraordinary I think there's going to be inevitably after this game this conversation again about whether or not Arsenal need to have um the classic goal scoring centre forward um I think that it's sort of fits neatly doesn't it with this idea of Arteta having taken all these ideas all of his footballing vision I suppose from Pep Guardiola and of course Manchester City did win the league before Erling Haaland arrived I think you can definitely do it and I think the fact um, the fact is that Arsenal were more effective in front of goal last season there are players like Bakayo Saka who haven't been scoring as well as they have last season not all of it is as simple as oh yes you just stick in a a goal scoring player and, and it changes everything Having said that, of course, it's also true that City signed Erling Haaland and they won the treble. So yes, having someone who is prolific up front makes a difference. That's always going to be true. And if there was a weakness structurally with Arsenal last night, it felt like it was, as Barry said, looking at the bench, who are you going to bring on who's just going to stick the ball in the net for you? The, the thing about if you haven't got a natural finisher who can who can score from from nothing, it means that every time that Arsenal play, they have to be more or less perfect in terms of that. You know, when when they're against a low block like West Ham defend, and they just didn't look like scoring, even though they had the cumulative chances were you know miles. I think six times what uh, West Ham had in terms of cumulative chances, the xG. Um, but you could be an average. You could play an average game, and if you've got somebody who can score from nothing. Then it wins you the game, and I think that's the that's the problem with Arsenal. You're not going to be perfect every game. You're not going to be able to work the perfect goal, and and if you haven't got that natural finisher. But the only other thing is, in January, 
who who could you who could they sign in January that's available? And you know, I can't see anybody out there that's available for for the money that you would spend. Ivan Tony. I mean, that's the that's the player that yeah. they're looking at and Chelsea are looking at. I guess I suppose there's something I, about that. I suspect. Brentford would be quite reluctant to let Ivan Tony go at the moment. We'll get to them in time, oh, I sure. presume. But yeah. they, they're they've got a lot of players out, including him and Mwemo. So when uh, Tony comes back, I don't think they're going to want to sell him. Sure, and Mwemo, if it and Whistle would go to Afcon anyway. And that's an interesting part about the way Arsenal play, and and actually those teams that are intricate. That why don't they just for five minutes just go look? From 30 minutes to 35, stick it in the mixer or just take some shots on 25 yards. Like, like do something slightly different because like, as Barney sort of suggested in his piece, it does rely on Saka being brilliant and he is brilliant, but like, he's not always going to be brilliant. Maybe you mix it up a tiny bit. I don't know. I, I mean, would, would sticking it in the mixer have been the right way to go against the West Ham team playing in a <laughs> well, low no. <laughs> A significantly taller <laughs> yeah. team that's quite good in the air. I'm not sure that no, would have been I mean, the answer. Now you put it like that, in. maybe you're right. But just doing something different. Anyway, on to the opening goal, which was, from a neutral perspective, absolutely hilarious. Uh, David, should Arsenal have worked that bit more closely with the Premier League to help improve officiating? Uh, Kevin, why does the goal line technology not extend? It's as easy as a tennis court, he says. Latino, why is this guessing game a thing in a league that sells TV rights for billions of pounds? And Jim says, have your thighs ever played a telling role in your working lives as we couldn't see beyond the thigh of Jared Bowen? The conspiracy theorists were were all over it on, on Twitter. I mean, it is if you're an Arsenal fan, it is so unlucky. You've had two goals like this, which have cost you so badly. For everyone else, it's absolutely brilliant, and I can't wait for the third one. Um, but but what do you what what are we meant to do about? It? I mean, Nicky, you're the Arsenal fan. I'll I'll, I'll let you react first. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I sort of assume this is coming, and and I don't know if I'm expected to rage about it. Whereas to me, this no, one I wasn't. Think I think are. I think the Newcastle goal was was a whole different story, and 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 felt very frustrating i think this one anyone reasonable looking at this that footage will say well it was a very tight call and there isn't an angle on it in an abstract way i think yes it's a bit odd that you have this goal line technology that you can use to determine whether it's in the go- whether it's in the goal or not and you can't use it for crossing the line outside the goal that seems slightly odd but uh in terms of this game i i None of the players complained about it, which is the first thing to point out. Gabrielle is caught completely out of position um, while the rest of the defence is flying across, which I think is is more significant. And Mikel Arteta didn't complain about it after the game either. And we know Mikel is not shy of complaining. So to me, this is this is a Twitter story rather than a, a real world story. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Uh, I mean, Pagatar does brilliantly to, to, to create the space for the goal. The cross is excellent as well for, for Bowen. But yeah, it was... Uh, slightly messed up at the back by Arsenal. And then Mavropanos, Barry, how do you feel about um, him not celebrating against his former club? He didn't have a, necessarily a great... I mean, it wasn't Tony Adams coming back to the end to Arsenal and scoring a goal, was it? No, I, I, he didn't play very often for Arsenal. I think while he was there, he was very much beset by injuries and then they got rid of him. Uh I I knew so little about him. I absolutely mangled his name in a pod earlier this year. I, like I, I wasn't even close to, to what <laughs> um, Mavropanos. Um, and yeah, he he didn't celebrate, but he was quite clearly very pleased as the big <laughs> shit-eating grin on his face sort of 
gave away his true feelings. I, I don't think he was too gutted about scoring against his, no, his former was a good side. Run, but a good header. You, you have to be seen to be, you know. I, I just think everyone should go full header by or uh, <laughs> and it, it, when you score against your former team. But um, that that's just me. Yeah, that was also Lucy. I mean, it was funny when even Declan Rice found it funny when he gave away a penalty in front of the West Ham fans. That was a great moment. They must have loved that. I, I love loads of things about Declan Rice, but the fact that you look at him and think that is just a normal person's reaction to how is my luck? You know, we we've 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 done everything we can. We just haven't scored. We've conceded two shots on target. West Ham are 2-0 up and then I've just tripped someone and given a, a, a penalty away. The only thing that you can do is laugh. And I actually quite like that. I mean, he's just thinking, well, you know, everything has gone absolutely perfect since he, he landed at Arsenal. And so he probably, you know, that, that little blip is probably something that it, the, all you can do is smile at. But it was quite amusing. He wasn't laughing, but that is what you would feel like if you think, well, how's my luck tonight? I, I saw in the, um, I mean, of, of who scored numbers, but I saw after the game, he had more than 10% of possession in the game. So more than nine minutes of the game, Declan Rice had the ball. So you're definitely going to feel <laughs> like he's there thinking, I've done absolutely everything. I've done literally everything. And somehow still this is all gone against me. Best way to do that would be to just have the ball for the first nine minutes. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and you could just take your foot off the gas. Hey, uh, on, the, on the subject of, sort of Arsenal's attacking, and Phil Costa, who does stuff for Scouted Football and Arse Blog, um, put out a stat that I thought was quite interesting at the, the same point last season Saka had six goals and six assists Martinelli seven goals and two assists Jesus five goals six assists this season only Saka is pretty much up with where he was five goals six assists Martinelli scored twice set up two Jesus scored three times and, and set up one so with a 40% drop off from last season which um, in, in a sense given those statistics it's quite impressive that Arsenal are, are, are doing as well as they are Ian says does this Arsenal performance prove that Havertz is in fact the linchpin or am I talking nonsense because I've just comfort eaten a large tub of kefir how very guardy you know like it's not you know it's not Neapolitan ice cream on this podcast a tub of, of what kefir I think it's a kind of it's a kind of yogurt but I don't know at what stage they okay. is it sort of an unpasteurized yeah yogurt or something fermented yogurt that's what producer joel yeah uh straight in with that stat producer joel (laughs) we we know our kafirs from uh uh from anything else i can't think of another from i don't don't have an other fermented yogurt i didn't even know that's how you pronounce it i just know how you smell it well i'm I'm guessing to to an extent uh but mrs rushton is very much in the you know she's in that envelope of ancient grains and kombucha and and your kafirs before we, uh, you know, uh, leave this game completely, since we're on yogurt and Barry hasn't made a hat out of it, Nicky. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, let, let, let's let's do a bit more on West Ham. Ward Prowse was excellent. I mean, another assist. We know his set pieces are good, but he, he's also an excellent midfielder, right? I really enjoyed him after the game in, in his post-match interview on, on Amazon Prime talking about growing up and wanting to be the next David Beckham and, and doing all this extra practice on free kick. And, and just the way he describes it, it's quite tedious actually going through all those free kick practices over and over again, but, but, but clearly paying off here. I mean... I think just across the board, because obviously whenever Arsenal lose, never any team in the title race loses, it's a story about that team. But I think beyond just David Moyes, there were some excellent performances in this West Ham team. Kudis and and Ward-Prowse being sort of chief among them in terms of looking after the football when they had those opportunities to look after the football. Um, but but Suchek as well with the guard. I thought they, there were a lot of individual performances that were really strong. Um and certainly with my Italian hat on, Angelo Ogbonna, who knows a thing or two about being that guy who who, who waits on the bench, because of course he was at Juventus behind Bonucci and Chiellini for a time. And 
I think it, it sort of speaks to to how well thought of he was there that Antonio Conte, who had him in that had him in that chapter, brought him into the Italy team, uh, even sort of knowing, well, you know, you haven't started as much as club level as you could, but I know what a defender you are. To the Amex then, Derek says, Deserby ball is good, isn't it, Max? Thank you, Derek. Uh, at Brighton 4, Spurs 2. As I said in the intro, Barry, there were two matches here. One that was 80 minutes long, where Brighton <laughs> absolutely battered Tottenham. And then the last 10 plus nine added on, where with a bit more luck or a bit better finishing, Tottenham actually could have got a point out of this game, which is totally ridiculous. Yeah, they could have. Um, and Brighton were almost punished for more or less downing twos once they went 4-0 up. I suppose Spurs deserve some credit for mounting some sort of a, a stirring comeback that, as you say, with a bit of luck and better finishing, they could have possibly rescued a point. It was kind of ironic, really, because they, you know, put in that huge effort in the final 10 minutes. And then after the game, Ange said that, you know, he just he put the, the result down to fatigue and said that the way Spurs play, you know, they expend a hell of a lot of effort and, and it's going to take its toll. And he said they looked a bit leggy last night and it was understandable. And I guess that's fair enough. Uh, they were also missing nine players for various reasons. Brighton were missing eight. So both both these teams play a real high-energy game and it it's obviously going to take its toll. And we've seen how it's taken its toll at Newcastle as well. But... um. Really good performance from Brighton for 80 minutes. And I suppose the Purvis Estepinian goal was the highlight of it. Absolute rocket. It was amazing finish, wasn't it? I mean, I, I, it is probably worth saying, with a bit more luck and better finishing, Brighton would have been 8-0 up <laughs> in the 80th minute, Lucy. Um, and I think what's quite interesting about this game was that, that these are two sides that play in a very similar way, actually, I think. You know, they both entice the opposition onto them they both play really risky football out from the back and it just felt like one of them yesterday was just so much better at it than the other one yeah and that's it and the thing is and probably the difference last night was that that Deserbis had longer with that Brighton squad so that it's what he wants is more instilled the players that he doesn't want are not there anymore the players that he he wanted is brought in Whereas, uh, and then that means that when they do have injuries, that they can cope with them better. And I think, I just look at that Spurs team, and there's a number of players um, who Postacoglu obviously doesn't want to have at the club if he can help it. So one of them being Hoybier. And you watch him play sometimes. And I think particularly now, I watched the first, I was flicking over between the, the, the two games, but I watched most of the first half. And where they want to get out from the back, they they didn't really have him as an option, and it's that you know he either doesn't doesn't sort of join in with what goes on, or he's, he he can't do it. I don't know what it is, but that that sort of affected how Spurs Spurs play. So I think when he has them as long as Deserby has had Brighton, I think that you'll you'll see a real improvement in Spurs. To be honest, mm. Joe Pedro scored two penalties. Uh, effortlessly, actually, and it's a hundred percent record with his penalty. But I felt Nicky, he was the he was the standout attacking player on the pitch. Yes, obviously, this game was happening at the same time as the Arsenal game, so couldn't couldn't give quite as much focus to to all the individual performances. But I I, I think it's um it, it's sort of uh, uh, astonishing how actually well Deserbi has managed to keep this team producing 
this offensive capability having lost many players as I know, and I know Tottenham had all these injuries as well I think both sides are going to say that um but I, I think the the fluidity of football they're playing as Lucy said more time to, to 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 get there but I think it's it's really um brilliant stuff and I think the sort of um the way that Tottenham give away that first penalty I mean it's it's poor from Kulisevsky but it just spoke to this sort of exasperated energy of oh my God behind again, just it's that thing you do when you're on the pitch and you're desperate, isn't it? Just reach hand out and grab and and kind of hope you get away with it. And I think it, it felt like for a big part of the the opening section of this game, Tottenham are chasing shadows. An obligatory James Milner is old stat, Barry. It actually came from John saying, not a question, but four Albion players tonight, Hinchelwoods, Buonanotte, Balaber and Ferguson, and two more on the bench weren't born when James Milner made his debut for Leeds. He was brilliant last night. I guess when Milner made his debut, uh, he was probably on a pitch with several players who had been, you know. I can't. I'm really trying. I, I think. He what was, are you trying to say, Barry? I'm trying to say that when Milner wasn't born, Milner wasn't born when some of these players started their careers. When he started against, when he scored against Chelsea. See, I'll take on from you, Barry. So, James Milner, I used to teach James Milner. Oh, of course you did, yeah. Oh, shut up. And um, <laughs> Mother hen, here she come. Cluck, cluck, cluck. <laughs> and he was, so he used to go into the local school. We used to teach him when he was in the first team and like all the other kids used to come and ask for his autograph. Right, so it might have been James Milner feeling old last night, but I feel even older watching <laughs> watching him play and and sort of uh, still be playing. I mean, he was an absolute machine at sixteen, and you know, and he obviously looked after himself and great pro and stuff. But but yeah, so I'll take over from that, Baz. Seems like you got that in a right pickle. I'm still not quite sure what stat either of you were trying to deliver beyond the one that John... I was basically trying to make the point that James Milner was very young when he made his debut. No, that's a good point. Um, Ange was a little bit annoyed with VAR. It wasn't quite the, hey, I've never questioned a decision in my life. Um, uh, Lewis Dunk did sort of smash into Kulisevsky in the lead-up to Spurs' first goal. I don't know if you saw that, Baz, or Nicky, you're nodding. And... I mean, the Spurs conspiracy theorists, it's nice to know that they also exist, saying, look, had that been Romero, he'd have been sent off as he is every other week. I mean, that's a, a different story, but they they might have a point. I was more interested in Ange slightly getting a bit sniffy about VAR, you know, even over the Kulisewski penalty, which was obviously a foul. Yeah, it was an obvious penalty, but they were both clear penalties. And um, and I also thought Lewis Dunk should have gone. I think that's a studs up challenge into an angle. It's, it's a red card, so... He's very lucky. Yeah, um, Barry, since the start of November, Tottenham have conceded the joint most goals in the Premier League at uh, 19, uh, along with Nottingham Forest, which is not, that's not title aspiration defending. I would say, you know, they have had so many people out there. They were playing four fullbacks again. Lucy mentioned they don't want Hoiberg. He doesn't want Eric Dyer, who must be sitting there going, I can't even get in when yeah. just, there's just anyone else will play in the back four. But still, that is defensively not good enough if you aspire to be the best no it isn't uh but as you say it was very makeshift back four last night emerson royal and ben davis i think playing at center half and it is yes yeah, slightly funny but i presume eric dyer doesn't see the funny side of him not getting in the team despite the fact that they don't have uh that there's full backs getting in ahead of him but 
you've got to shore up the defense, defend better, you know, yes. give, pick up the phone, ring David Moyes, ask him what I should do. Yeah, the rumours of Eric Dyer going to Bayern Munich in the uh, January window. So, you know, he could lift a, uh, uh, nice to see him lifting a trophy next to Harry Kane with the Champions League and the Bundesliga, or of course, neither of them. Um, anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two will do, I was going to say Tuesday's games, but they weren't. Were they Wednesday's games? Whatever day it is. The ones the ones that begin with Goodison, where Man City won 3-1. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, at Goodison then, uh, Everton won, Manchester City three. Lucy, you were there. How was it? You know what? Everton Everton diced Man City in the first half. They got diced. He, he, I think the way that, that Everton set up and their press is, is one of the best uh, and most effective in, in the Premier League. I mean, mo- mostly because needs must and, and you know, they're, they're probably not the best team in the Premier League. But I just think he's got them going. They all believe... Um, in what he wants them to do, they all work really hard. And if anything, Everton looked a little bit leggy in the in the second half, which obviously gave uh, Man City a little bit of a chance. I mean, Man City were, you know, their usual selves, just trying to sort of get through a low block a little bit like Arsenal against West Ham. But they just Phil Foden played really well. I think as soon as you let him loose in central areas, he's probably the most technically gifted of of all the players. Um, on that Manchester City team. The only thing I would say is the handball uh, law is does my head in because there's no, absolutely no way on earth is that a handball. It is a handball by the letter of the law, whatever you say, but there's no way on earth can Anana put his arms anywhere else unless he sort of thinks to himself, I better put my arms somewhere else. By the time he thinks that, the ball's gone past him anyway. Um, so I'm not having that, not having that as a, a, a as a handball, and that just sort of gave the impetus to to City, and you you don't need anything going City's way if you're playing against City, and 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 that certainly did. I mean, it was the first uh, good save from an Anana this season, but I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I am uh, I, I am with you, Lucy. I mean, Sean Dyche afterwards said he's not putting his arm up to save it; he's literally jumping in to try to block the ball. How that has given us a penalty is bizarre in my world, but I must be from a different planet. I suppose if you were questioning which Premier League, yes, if you were questioning which Premier League manager is from a different planet, I guess Sean Dyche would be quite high up there. <laughs> I mean, maybe we don't need to have. Maybe Lucy said it all for him. I don't know if anyone else. My only fear is that people, because there are so many of these penalties now. Like fans are getting conditioned to wanting to believing they are, and like kids who are starting to watch football now are like, well, that is a penalty. And so, like once you know we've jumped the shark, now like there's nothing we can do. It's at the, the you know the Pandora's box is open. We're we're screwed. Like I, I, it makes me so upset, and I don't really get upset about anything um, apart from sleep deprivation. Um, and and I just I would just change the law now to say oh, if we're not going to fix it, just say that's a free kick. Just give us a free kick. And then it's chaos in the box, 11 men on the line, etc. Fewer goals, more fun. But, oh, yeah, it drives me completely mad. Um, Barry and Nicky, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Or I have nothing to add, really. I think we've kind of discussed it to death. It's, it's a handball by the letter of the law. And if that is the law, then the law is an ass. I just, as you were saying that, 
Max, and I'm sorry, because we're not the youngest panel probably Football Weekly's ever had. And I just had a picture of no. the, the the principal Skinner meme from The Simpsons with, am I out of touch? No, it's the kids who are wrong, <laughs> as you were saying. That's what kids are going to come up thinking is a handball. Well, I, yeah. They are on this on the you know I I'm I, you know they they may be right on many things but the kids are wrong that's I agree with Principal Skinner. The the one thing I add, I have to add and have to put about this and I, I know I'm a little bit biased but Calvin Phillips right how on earth and why on earth did did Guardiola buy Calvin Phillips and I think it's it's evidence of how good Bielsa is of how much he got out of Calvin that Guardiola couldn't get that level of performance from him and, I, and I'm not sure you know I even look at it and think why did he buy him in the first place did he buy him so that others couldn't have him because you know they knew how he played you know surely they did the due diligence on him they knew what type of player he was they saw the level of performance we all saw the level of performance that he, he did for, for, for Leeds now surely he didn't buy him just so that he had some homegrown talent on the bench and the others around him couldn't have him. I've just no, I just can't work out why you buy someone that you know exactly all about and that someone else has got a lot more out of him. Um, and then you don't play him. I don't, I, I just can't understand it. Lucy, can I ask just you as someone, as a former player and as someone who knows Calvin well, do you think he would rather be say at Newcastle playing regularly or a really, really, really peripheral figure at Man City, but with a treble to his name. Yeah, somewhere playing regularly. But I mean, I'm sure you know he's that he's had a lot of fun and it's been fantastic. But when you've not had anything to do with it, you know, he probably looks back at his time in Leeds where they won the when when they win won the championship, uh, and I know he does with 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 more fondness because he was a major part of it. And that's it. He knows his levels of performance. And so it's frustrating when you, you, you don't get to show that um, at a team like City. And, and, and really, at a team like City, you should be, you look a better player because of all the better players around you. So it's, it's just frustrating. I, it's, I'm just frustrating for him. Um, and it's frustrating for everybody who knows how, how, how well. And Leeds fans are absolutely furious with the fact that <laughs> furious that, that, that somebody's wasted him for the for the past two years. And he obviously, he went there thinking he was going to play. There's no way he went there thinking to, that, he, you know, he was going to sit on the sidelines for, for, for two years. Otherwise, he'd have gone somewhere else. But is it just so that other he couldn't go anywhere else? I, don't, I have no idea. Man City, um, what they've got, Sheffield United at home, Newcastle away, Burnley at home, Brentford away. Barry, is this when they go on there, win 19 in a row? No, you know we're not. We, you know, the Arsenal slipped up, Tottenham slipped up. You know, it's no, it's starting to look like. Well, I can certainly see them winning four in a <laughs> row. <laughs> Whatever about nineteen. Um, who knows? Uh, they have shown signs of fallibility this season, but they have had a very good Christmas period, despite only playing once. Uh, results elsewhere have gone their way. They got that win. I think my main takeout from this game was City weren't massively impressive, but uh, the build-up to the Everton goal, they, they gave the ball away twice. Bernardo Silva and Rodri both gave the ball away. So, I mean, if Pep had hair, one imagines he would have been ripping it out in giant tufts uh, at the sight yeah. of that, and it would probably kept him awake uh, all night. Yeah, I... I Look, we don't know how long of a run they're going on, but it's a nice cushy start to the year, isn't it? 
City fans sung to Everton fans, cheating bastards, you know what you are, with reference to Everton's points deduction, which I think is quite funny, given the uh, 115 charges that we are waiting uh, to discover the results were, of. Were uh, they singing with their tongues in their cheek? Or Presume uh, so. I mean, we can uh, only <laughs> presume so, right? But who knows, right? Um, maybe they just really care about justice, you know? And mm. uh, and if they are found guilty, they will absolutely take it on the chin. Uh, Ian Wone versus Kyle Walker was a, a, a fun contretemps. Uh, in 2003-4, Ian Wone played for the Syracuse Salty Dogs, who feel way less real, says producer Joel, than Barry's beloved Woodland Timberlakes. And also pointed out Peter Reed was wearing an excellent hat. Uh, David tweeting, good to see Peter Reed taking some time out from his ongoing hunt for the beer baron. Yes, he does look very much like uh, someone trying to catch Al Capone. Uh, uh <laughs> It's, an, it's a wonderful hat, and he's a good man. Uh, Chelsea 2, Crystal Palace 1. Gav says, I had a great joke, but Chelsea ended up winning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I presume was about Chelsea investing in players. Um, they needed a win. They probably deserved it, Nicky. I mean, there's a bit of, like, Arsenal creating so many chances, but not really delivering. Um, and uh, uh, it, it took them... 89 minutes to get the winner, but they probably deserved it. Yeah, it, did. it felt like it, it hung in the balance longer than it needed to. Obviously, there was the, the disallowed goal as well. I don't know. I think this feels like a bit of a recurring story for, for Chelsea at the moment. That there's, there's some individual performances in there that really make you go, wow, that was someone looking really impressive. I thought Malo Gusto obviously was was, was brilliant. Um, his run for the, the 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 first goal, sort of starting it and, and then delivering the assist for Mudrick was, was something brilliant. Um, they look at times really, really scintillating going forward. Um and then, as you said, they they nearly don't win the game. So um continue to be a I suppose a an, an incomplete team, but I don't know. I I think I feel like the trajectory is improving. Maybe not as fast as fans would like, but I think it's it's improving. Yeah. Are their XG are they'd be second in the table? Or I think in that game when they went to Spurs and Spurs had nine men. They got an XG of about a thousand, so they might have skewed things. Uh, and Kunku played. He's he's an interesting player, Lucy. Slightly different to what I was expecting in the sense that he he doesn't necessarily look like an out and out number nine. He sort of drops deep a bit, doesn't he, and, and links the play quite nicely. He's a link player, and he's better decision making than any that they've got. They still obviously need a, a big bully in number nine. I think a strong physical number nine. Um, but Nkunku is is the real deal, and I think they've probably been a little bit unfortunate that he was injured in pre-season. So basically, I had to change the way they they played Chelsea. I, it, it's been difficult because obviously, you know, usually a team will invest in in sort of one or two young players who may or may not reach the potential. Whenever Chelsea have got a team full of them, so you know they, they they've got to learn on the job, and I, I think that's not Pochettino's fault as we as we know, but. I think Nkunku is the, is going to be the one that sort of connects, probably makes others play better around him. Um, Jackson is getting absolutely hammered by his own fans, which never adds, we talk about belief again, never adds to any player's confidence. Um, but I think he's got something at some point. Um, I, I just think he's just not the starter at the moment. And I think he'd do better when he's got someone in front of uh, him in the squad who will play and then he sort of gets himself eased in. Liam says, as a Palace fan, I'm starting to get quite concerned. If we can't get a win away against this Chelsea, uh, where are we going to get points from? Um, no wins and eight for Palace. Um, uh, Ed Aaron's uh, reporting that Palace are very keen on Steve Cooper. 
who is obviously available uh, after Forrest got rid of him. Um, your thoughts on that, Baz? I wouldn't be at all surprised as I get Steve Cooper in. I did notice actually uh, Bruce Millington, former editor of the Racing Post and a big Palace fan, he, he sort of put a shout out on Twitter asking, you know, is Steve Cooper actually, you know, this brilliant manager everyone, all the Forest fans claim? And a, a Forest fan made quite a reasoned argument as... I wouldn't say it was a character assassination of Cooper, but he went, you know, he's a decent manager, but, you know, he's not as tactically diverse as he could be. He's a habit of freezing players out. And, and, you know, I think we saw, uh, who was it he banished from the squad recently, uh, the the club? Joe Worrell. That's what I said on the last pod. He he banished the club captain. And and so things were only ever going to go what one way after after getting rid of the club captain because the rest of the players are like hang on a minute he's our captain so yeah he's, he's obviously, there's obviously something about his makeup and never banished Joe Worrell because during COVID when obviously players couldn't say I'm busy he came on Talksport and read the Hungry Caterpillar for us <laughs> and he was actually very good at it <laughs> oh. so uh, I have nothing but respect for the man sorry Barry you were midpoint you know I I don't know if Cooper is is the Messiah he's sometimes portrayed as. He's obviously a good manager. I, I'll be honest. I thought Palace were a bit unlucky in this game. I thought it could have gone either way, and it went Chelsea's way. Um, and I think the main problem for Palace was Hodgson not making changes early enough. I think he only brought on two subs: one in the seventy-ninth minute and one in the ninetieth minute uh, when it was too late. Um, and Pochettino made a, a raft. I think three subs on was it on the hour mark and and Hodgson didn't react so I think that is where the game got away from Palace uh, Hodgson not doing making the changes that could have altered the result Trash account says from squaring up to players earlier in the season to becoming salty AF in interviews is everyone enjoying Roy Hodgson as much as I am right now yeah there's a, a, a great interview uh, of which I'll have some of the transcript um <laughs> Sam Matterface uh asked uh Roy after the game he said Roy you looked a little bit animated at the end what was irking you seems a totally fair question uh from Sam and Roy said telling me how I look and how I feel and then suggesting that I should have a reason for how I feel that's not what I came on the radio to discuss ask me some questions about the game and I'll answer them <laughs> he, he can be a bit chippy at times Roy uh... I like feisty Roy though feisty Roy is cool I really, I like him he just he's not t- he's got to that age where he's not taking any crap from anybody so I, I like that do you know what there's a there's an interesting thing isn't it that the people who interview managers after the game they have to maintain a relationship with them so like Every like if he said that to me, like every part of me would want to say it would be like seem a bit irked still now, right? You know, like that, that, that's what you want to say. You're right now. What about now? What about now? But and that's that's actually why most post game interviews aren't exactly that interesting because you can't. If a manager says something that's completely ridiculous, you can't go. Come on, mate. That obviously was a penalty because you you might they might say I don't want to talk to you next week, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but. Yeah, that was funny. Julian Lopetegui has also been spotted at Selhurst Park in recent weeks. 
uh, while according to Ed, uh, Ed Aarons, the Lille manager Paolo Fonseca and Oliver Glasner, who's been out of work since leaving Frankfurt, both have supporters in the Palace boardroom. I think they should be Palace fans, shouldn't they? Rather than supporters of just other random managers. At <laughs> uh, the bottom of the Premier League is really quite interesting now, isn't it? With Luton's uh, uh, little upturn in form. Uh, Sheffield United have nine, Burnley 11, Luton 15, Everton 16, Forest 17, Palace 18. And Brentford, 19. Uh, Brentford were hammered 4-1 at home by uh, Wolves. Jim says they've lost six out of the last seven. Um, will the imminent return of Ivan Tony fix them or do their problems go deeper than that? Brendan says, did Barry know Nathan Collins actually still plays for Wolves? I presume after watching this, <laughs> you really do. Poor bloke had an absolute stinker, didn't he? Oh, what a shocker he had. I think more or less provided three assists for his former club. Two shocking passes and a a bad clearance uh, led to three of the Wolves' goals. And Thomas Frank said after the game, you know, that he, he, he was able to sort of see the funny side, or at least claimed he had, and, and said he had said to Collins, it will be impossible to be worse than this. And that, that's almost <laughs> a challenge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't as bad as I mean. It reminded me a bit of Vout Fass when he scored those two own goals at Anfield for Leicester, because you know when the second one went in, you were like, "You can't! He can't have done that! He can't have! He can't have done both of these!" You know, when you're just watching the fourth one, you're going, "That can't be Nathan Collins doing that." Especially the second one was like they literally just conceded a goal. It was like 14 seconds yeah. or something. It's worth mentioning um, Huang He Chan, Nicky, who's I mean, who's finished for that where he just dinked it over the defender and slotted it home was so good. But like he's he's an absolutely brilliant centre forward and, and is is so vital to that team. Yeah, it was, it was sort of a perfect contrast because it was Collins putting him in between what sort of felt like a very... I felt like Nathan Collins felt like what you almost just feel like was this very post-Christmas performance. It's just <laughs> yes. very like, oh, everyone's a little bit too relaxed. Um, whereas Swang was the opposite. He was really sharp all game, getting on top of people, um, punishing those sorts of mistakes. And I, I think he's an, a nice sort of case study in in how patience and um, and coaching can, can get you places with the player because he's he didn't score that many goals the last two seasons. This season, he's already hit double figures. Um, we're not talking about someone at the beginning of their career, someone very much in the middle of their career. I, I think this, having had a conversation already about strikers with certain teams, is a sort of reminder that it's not just about snapping your fingers sometimes and, and having the um, the money to go out and buy a centre forward. You, you can get more from what you have with, with um, the right opportunities. Do we worry for Brentford? Lucy? I worry because of the attack. I think Barry said it earlier um, about Ivan Tony. You know, if he goes, that's a that's a problem for Brentford. You know, and they're in position now where, you know, they're not getting. I I think they'll be all right, Brentford. To be honest, just because of, of Thomas Frank and the way that he's got this team going. But you need to be scoring goals if you're staying up, and I think that's the most important bit: getting someone to score goals. So maybe. You know, keeping hold of Tony is probably more more crucial than ever at the moment. They are missing quite a few players as well. I mean, last night in Buemo, Tony, Ben Mee, Christian Iyer, Rico Henry is a huge loss for them. Shandon Baptiste was out as well. I'm not sure. I don't know how many of them are long term absentees. I know Rico Henry is, uh, but yeah, that for a squad, their squad doesn't have that much depth, so to be missing all those players, it's going to take a toll, but six losses in seven games is is not good. 
Yeah, worth mentioning as well, Huang, I guess, goes to the Asia Cup, right? Uh, uh, as well as Sun. So that will impact Wolves um, as well as impact Spurs. Um, that happening at the same time as, as AFCON, there or thereabouts. And, you know, someone will have produced a list of all the players uh, who are leaving and won't be there for uh, bits of January and February. I think I think Forrester are going to be hit particularly hard. They think six or seven players oh, really? could be off to AFCON, yeah. And six or seven, like, pretty key players. Don't ask me to name them. No, maybe we'll read out a list on a pod soon. Uh, that'll do for part two. Back in a second. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, before we do a Premier League preview, um, Lucy, you tweeted recently um, on the 11th of December, uh, uh, the amount of hassle I've had on here on Twitter in the last few days has increased tenfold. Uh, I think uh, some feel a bit of Dutch courage at the moment. We on this pod have debated a lot, but not on air, about whether to talk about certain ex-professional footballers continually tweeting about female pundits and the women's role in the men's game specifically. And and I just thought it was really interesting, your tweet. And obviously we talked to you before the pod about whether you wanted to talk about it or not. We didn't really want to give any oxygen to certain people. Um, but it's interesting that there is a real effect. You have seen a real effect on, you know, people with millions of followers tweeting that women have no place in the men's game. Yeah, it, it, is, it is really powerful negatively i've seen a real increase in in people that sort of direct message me or at me on on twitter um i just think it's just given it's just given oxygen to um people who have these views and you know it it's difficult because you 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 want to say that um it doesn't have any effect um but i think that you know when i i go out with my friends from school uh, just before christmas and i'll 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 show them messages that i get and people that and they're just like how on earth do you cope with that how, and these people who do normal jobs you know if they have that sort of at their normal job you know it affects them it's because it's quite a lot of it's personal quite a lot of it insinuates you know why i'm in the position i am even though i've you know i and, and i and loathe to explain um, myself in terms of the experience that I've got but sort of working in professional football in men's professional football um, for the since 1998 um, and I know more about men's football than women's football simply because I've worked in men's football for, for all that time so but I'm loath to do that but I feel sometimes like I have to do it because because you can't say oh you know I've got 100 caps for England like Alex Scott and Farrah Williams and that's an easy argument whenever anybody says anything about them um but I've got more experience in in, in men's football than them and, and I've played and I you know and, and coached a little bit but why should I be sat here explaining because the most disappointing thing or one of the disappointing things is and I, but I understand it is that I've got the support of everybody I work 
with men because when I walked into the Winnebago at when I was doing it, I I was the first one. I think um, I think it was when he when he when this particular person started his run. I was the first woman to work that that evening, and I was working with um, Jim Proudfoot, uh, Steve Bauer, and you know they they I know I've worked with with both of those for years, and they you know they just sort of turn the noses up. Now these people. I think that one of the reasons why these people, and I'm not talking about the people I've just mentioned, but ex-pros, I don't think ex-pros have spoke up on Twitter against against it because I think that that there there is a risk of everything that this person knows about these ex-pros coming out, and, and I honestly think that's the reason why because he just didn't have a, have, a, have a stop button, and and I know that everybody that I work with has has my back, but the amount of stuff that I've had and this week it's happened as well I, I I didn't I didn't think I would escape um being specifically targeted and I was in the Burnley Liverpool game and it was absolutely horrific honestly the stuff that I got direct message sent to me the stuff that I got tagged in and you know and I and I saw every so often I look at these people and then I have a picture with their daughter and I just think wow I just feel sorry for your daughter. If you don't think that women can do whatever they want to do, right? How on? What is your daughter? She's just going to be limited in everything she does. But it, it, it's still I, I, to this day, it's still how someone can sit at home and say something very personal about someone else that they've got no idea who's actually worked their ass off to get get where they are is just just incredible. And and to be honest, I laugh at a lot of it, but it is. It is incredibly hard not to just think, oh, has that person got a point? And then you just speak to the people who you know will tell you the truth and you just know that they don't have a point. Are you tempted to to, to leave social media? No, I, I get a lot of... Go- like you don't want to be sort of bullied away no. from it, I guess, but it's about... Yeah, I, 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 I mean, what I do, Max, is that I mute everybody who says something like that is just unpleasant because... The best thing about that is that the, you, they, they don't know that you've they've been muted, so they're basically shouting into thin air, and that's quite amusing to me that these people. So I will put something on, and when I look at my replies, it'll say from an account you muted, from an account you muted, from an account you muted. And I was just like, well, brilliant. I'm not, I'm not even looking at that, and they just think that I can see everything, and I obviously can't. Um, but no, I don't think I will because I, I, you know, the hardest thing is my friends, my close friends some of them try and argue with people and I just feel so sorry because they get so, my friends get so frustrated. My friends and family get really frustrated. Try and argue with people. It's just not worth it. It's not worth giving these people oxygen. It really isn't. Yeah. Uh, Nikki, I wonder if you have, you know, if you have seen an increase in in any sort of social media abuse or not. I think the truth is, and you just touched on it, I've self-selected off Twitter to a large degree because uh, I, I sort of, make choices about where I'm going to put my energy in life. And Twitter, I think it, this is bigger than just the comments in, in recent days. I think Twitter has been trending in a in an unpleasant direction. I think it was trending in an unpleasant direction even before ownership changes. So it's not even all about that. But I, I, I don't, I don't engage with, with that. Um, and so this whole sort of story has probably touched me less than some other people. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's a picture of choosing to take yourself out of something because you 
don't want the hassle and you make that choice and it comes with costs because if you're not on Twitter as much, you're not seen as much by the people who do want to see your work and by people who might give you work as a freelancer because they're seeing you on there. So it's absolutely still damaging, even if you choose to to select yourself out yeah. of it. And it's a really hard debate, Barry, about whether you give oxygen to assholes. I mean, I've, 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 we talked about it. the WhatsApp group. I was quite keen on having this conversation even before hearing like a real life effect on somebody like it's had on Lucy. Uh, and you were less so, I, I think. I, I haven't been inclined to talk about it, but then I am interested to hear Nikki and Lucy's point of view. But, you know, there are a couple of, you know, high-profile blokes who are ranting and raving about women being pundits and doing cold comms and shouldn't be allowed. And and then when Mary Earps won BBC Sports Personality of the Year, a certain uh, former tabloid editor turned TV host really, you know, lost his mind over it, a stupid award um, that is of very little or no consequence. But they're they're just looking for publicity. That's that's what they're after, and I don't want to give it to them. But it is a conversation worth having because, you know, what I wouldn't have thought Lucy would be particularly bothered by that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to hear that she is. Mm. I mean, I, I, and also I think the real, in my experience, Lucy, the real difference is, Loads of people tell me I'm shit on Twitter, right? And I tend to, fi- tend to find it funny. And sometimes, occasionally, like it'll hit you at the wrong time. But they never say you're shit because you're a man. They just say you're shit, right? And that's such a massive fucking difference. That's the thing that really is just so... so, so it so makes me so furious. And, and you know, and, and, and I saw that with even at Soccer M with Helen, right? People would say you're shit. And then people would say your shit to Helen in a different, in such a misogynistic way. And it'd be like, well, and clearly she wasn't. And at the start of it, I was. So like, like they had a point with me. I honestly think that people don't listen to what you're saying, you know, and, and, and I just think it's just as soon as they hear the female voice, it's like, oh, you know, how, how do you know? Um, and, and I always, I, I always laugh and joke because the, the, there's a, there's a, a little clip of um, Jake Paul kicking up, um, a football and I always reply to people go is this you kicking and it's literally a bloke that cannot kick a football to save his life and it's just like and that's how I imagine these people these people who go, who have a go at me about my knowledge of football cannot kick a ball straight to save their lives and I honestly think <laughs> I honestly think that and it's probably something in them that's a, you know they probably feel like they're lacking a little bit I don't know what it is I mean of course me and Barry have played at the highest <laughs> level so like we we wouldn't understand but you know um uh, yes, Barry. I'd also. I think it's worth pointing out that on this Zoom call, I can see an ironing board in the background of Lucy's shop. So that's Neil. That's not mine. It's Neil. Once she's finished talking about men things with with, she she'll get back to her proper calling in life. Well, I mean, the side note that I picked up was that Lucy has a Winnebago. So you know, someone's doing okay. Yeah. And yeah, anyway, that was a much more interesting conversation than a, a generic Premier League preview that we would have done in, instead. So look, we'll be back on Monday to cover those games. Michael says, um, uh, on the subject of Chris Wood, we were quite patronising. Why the backhanded praise of Chris Wood's scoring prowess? He is equal in all-time Premier League goals with Beckham, Pires and Yaya Torre, 62. It's almost like you developed an anti-Kiwi bias since living in Australia. Yes, many apologies, uh, Michael. Has Chris Wood scored 62 goals? Yeah, I know. Really? Wow. 
I'm surprised. I have to say that. Yeah. Um, uh, Neymar's cruise ship. Uh, the MSC cruise will be attended by Neymar and some of his family and friends. Uh, the journey will be marked by three parties. It goes to, from Rio to Santos and back, which are a white party, a costume party, and a tropical party, as well as a number of activities and concerts by several famous Brazilian artists. Um, but if you pay enough, you can hang out with Neymar for three days. It says the cruise will last three days, will include casinos, bowling, a game room, a 4D cinema, a water park, a gym, a spa, theatre shows, and gastronomic options from all over the world. The prices of the trip, uh, which see passengers able to hang out with Neymar for seven. 72 hours, God, range between one and 6,000 euros, according to Marca. A luxurious trip that has the great addition of having the Brazilian player at some of the parties and concerts that will be held during the journey. Barry, are you in? Um, I can't think of anything I'd rather do less in terms <laughs> of going on holiday. I'm, I always presume, you know, no one goes on a cruise till they're at least, I don't know, 70 and then it might be fun. But like everything they've bigged up there, apart from the presence of Neymar, is just a cruise. You know, that's, that's <laughs> what you get on cruises. True. Uh, I, I don't know, will he be on the ship the whole time or does he just get choppered in for I an believe hour so. and then choppered off again? Oh, I, I don't that's know. a very good question. I mean, he likes to party, so you'd imagine he'll be there till, you know, he'll be there for most of the costume party, we'd hope. I've, I've heard of like, these cruises happening with like bands before, right? So Hedonex is really into the bare naked ladies. I know they did um, cruises sometimes where they be, but I sort of makes more sense because you go and you'd watch them do a concert, wouldn't you? I mean, they do a con. You'd assume they're going to do a concert on the boat. Maybe they do some informal stuff. Is Neymar going to do a performance? Is he going to, or is he just going to be sort of behind a VIP rope at the, at the party so oh, you can sort of see him? From I hope he does cabaret. I hope he says, and now I'll, and now I'll do the way it is by Bruce Hornsby <laughs> in the range, and there's Neymar there just at, at a Casio keyboard. Then, then suddenly I'm kind of in. Anyway, uh, football weekly cruise instead of the tour next year. We could do that. I mean. If my memories of the closest we've been is, of course, the ferry from Dublin to Holyhead. That didn't feel like a cruise, did it? That felt like... No, that's, that's an experience <laughs> I'd rather not repeat. That, was a, that, was, that ended up being avoiding an incredibly drunk Nottingham Forest fan. And <laughs> you couldn't get away because you were on a boat <laughs> hiding in the toilet, ferrying him towards Jonathan Wilson. Um, but thank you if you're still listening. Uh, we had a lovely time. Uh, anyway, that'll do uh, for today's pod. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you. Thanks, Baz. Thanks. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks, thanks. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. 